Welcome to the July 9th, 2020 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today we'll review data that suggests the pro-inflammatory environment associated with aging alters hematopoietic stem cell function by inducing IL-27 receptor alpha expression. Examine a study attempting to optimize antiplatelet therapy in essential thrombocythemia, and learn more about a study by investigators who have proposed that myelodysplastic syndrome patients with mutations in SF3B1 identify a new subtype of that disease. First, let's examine data presented in the blood article entitled, Aging-Induced IL-27 Receptor Alpha Signaling Impairs Hematopoietic Stem Cells, by Han King He, from Tsinghua University in Beijing and colleagues. There are two key points of this study. First, the high levels of TNF associated with aging-related inflammation promote hematopoietic stem cell, or HSC, aging by inducing the IL-27 receptor alpha in these cells. And second, the functional decline and myeloid bias of HSCs during aging can be reversed by deletion of the IL-27 receptor alpha gene from HSCs. Aging is a complex process. In animals, aging is characterized by the gradual loss of homeostasis in various tissues. The pivotal underlying factor of growing older is considered to be defects in the function of tissue-specific stem cells. HSCs located in bone marrow generate all of the blood cells throughout the mammalian lifespan. During aging, the reconstitution capacity of HSCs declines, and their propensity to differentiate into myeloid lineage cells, rather than lymphoid lineage cells, is strengthened. This appears to contribute to the gradual decline of the immune system. Previous studies speculated that HSC intrinsic mechanisms are the main factors driving HSC aging. Conversely, recent studies highlight the important role of extrinsic factors in this process. For example, when HSCs from young mice were transplanted into elderly recipient mice, the mice subsequently exhibited aging-related decline of stem cell function. These studies indicate that the bone marrow microenvironment plays a significant role in the aging process of HSCs. Since it has been known for some time that aging is frequently accompanied by chronic inflammation or inflammaging, there has been increasing interest in determining the role that chronic inflammation plays in the aging-associated functional decline of HSCs. Inflammaging is characterized by increased systemic levels of several pro-inflammatory cytokines, including TNF-alpha and IL-1-beta. Several previous studies focused on HSCs have shown that inflammatory signaling, which is activated by inflammatory cytokines such as TNF-alpha, IL-1-beta, interferon-alpha, and interferon-gamma, may alter the differentiation of myeloid progenitor cells. For example, TNF-alpha is known to impair HSC function directly after binding to its receptor on HSCs. This is thought to be important in inflammaging since TNF-alpha receptor-deficient HSCs display enhanced reconstitution capacity. Furthermore, constitutive administration of IL-1-beta promotes myeloid lineage bias differentiation of HSCs at the expense of lymphoid differentiation, 
mimicking what is observed during the aging of HSCs. Overall, these earlier studies indicate that pro-inflammatory cytokines may contribute to the decline in stem cell function with aging. However, the exact mechanisms remain unclear. Therefore, explaining how HSCs respond to the inflammatory signals present in their immediate microenvironment may shed some light on the mechanisms underlying myeloid bias and or the decreased self-renewal potential of aging HSCs. In this study, he et al. examined the expression of a large number of cytokine receptors in young and aged HSCs and noted that increased expression of the IL-27 receptor alpha was a unique marker for aged stem cells. HSCs from young and aged mice were then fractionated into two subpopulations, IL-27-RA positive and IL-27-RA negative. The authors found that IL-27-RA positive HSCs displayed a compromised capacity to reconstitute the blood system, a bias towards myeloid lineage differentiation, and a burst of inflammatory gene expression. In contrast, IL-27-RA negative HSCs exhibited significantly better reconstitution capacity and lymphoid differentiation potential compared to IL-27-RA positive HSCs. These results suggested that expression of IL-27-R-alpha could play a role in the HSC defects of aging stem cells. Next, the authors created mice with a targeted deletion of the IL-27-RA gene and found that these mice had enhanced reconstitution capacity of HSCs and did not develop the differentiation bias towards the myeloid lineage as they aged. Aged IL-27-RA knockout mice consistently exhibited a reduced proportion of myeloid-biased HSCs and did not display the biased myeloid differentiation of aged WT mice. The authors next sought to determine how the IL-27 receptor alpha expression is regulated in stem cells. They identified the promoter of the IL-27R alpha gene and identified two known transcription factors that were able to enhance expression, NF-kappa-B, P65, and ETS1. Interestingly, the authors found that HSCs from aging mice have high levels of ETS1, a factor known to be regulated by TNF, but had normal levels of NF-kappa-B, suggesting the intriguing possibility that the high levels of TNF associated with aging are damaging stem cell function by inducing expression of IL-27 receptor alpha via TNF induction of ETS1. Next, the authors demonstrated directly that both TNF and IL-1 beta could induce expression of IL-27 receptor alpha through a mechanism that involved signaling through ERK and ETS1. Finally, the authors proved that IL-27 receptor alpha is likely to be a critical step in the HSC dysfunction associated with inflammation of aging since the damaging effects of TNF were shown to be blocked when the IL-27 receptor alpha was knocked out. Overall, this investigation revealed that aging-associated cytokines such as TNF induce expression of IL-27RA, which then promotes HSC aging and suggests that interference with inflammatory cytokine signaling or IL-27R-alpha signaling, could potentially be exploited for development of novel therapies against aging-related hematopoietic diseases.
Next up, we'll discuss evidence from the blood article entitled, A Randomized Double-Blind Trial of Three Aspirin Regimens to Optimize Antiplatelet Therapy in Essential Thrombocythemia, by Bianca Rocca from the Catholic University School of Medicine in Rome, Italy, and colleagues from several centers that participated in the aspirin regimens in Essential Thrombocythemia, or ARIES clinical trial. Two key points of this study are as follows. The majority of 245 patients with essential thrombocythemia treated with once-daily low-dose aspirin displayed incomplete platelet inhibition, and platelet inhibition was improved by a twice-daily dosing interval with no further value seen by adding a third daily dose. Essential thrombocythemia, or ET, is a chronic Philadelphia chromosome-negative myeloproliferative neoplasm characterized by clonal thrombocytosis and enhanced risk of arterial and venous thrombosis, with approximately 20% of patients presenting with mainly arterial thrombosis at diagnosis. The incidence of serious thrombotic episodes during the course of the disease averages 2% per year. Thrombosis recurrence reaches up to 8% per year. Increased thromboxane A2 biosynthesis in platelets has been reported in ET patients, suggesting a potential link between persistently enhanced platelet activation and vascular complications. Current recommendations for low-dose aspirin in ET patients are largely based on aspirin trials in non-MPN subjects as well as on a Phase three trial in polycythemia vera. However, some question the efficacy of aspirin to prevent vascular events in ET, as the recommendations are largely based on retrospective and observational studies with intrinsic limitations and a low quality of evidence. Aspirin permanently acetylates platelet and megakaryocyte cyclooxygenase 1, or COX-1 the enzyme catalyzing the first step in thromboxane A2 biosynthesis. Under physiological megakaryopoiesis, the irreversible nature of COX-1 inactivation in the bone marrow progenitors leads to a new platelet progeny with largely non-functioning enzyme activity throughout the 24-hour dosing interval. However, in ET, there is accelerated formation and release of platelets with unacetylated COX-1 and or COX-2, and two small independent studies have reported incomplete inhibition of platelet thromboxane A2 biosynthesis by a standard low-dose aspirin regimen in greater than or equal to 80% of ET patients. In an effort to better understand how to dose aspirin for maximum efficacy in ET, Rocco et al. performed a multi-center, double-blind trial of three different aspirin regimens. As described in the report, 245 patients on chronic daily low-dose aspirin were randomized to receive 100 mg of aspirin once daily, twice daily, the BID regimen, or three times daily for two weeks, the TID regimen. All patients were given three pills daily, however, with the second and third pills being either aspirin or placebo, depending on which arm they were randomized to. Serum thromboxane B2 a validated biomarker of platelet COX-1 activity was measured at the start of treatment and after two weeks. Since high levels of aspirin could also inhibit COX-2, an undesirable effect, urinary prostacycline metabolite, or PGIM, excretion, was measured at randomization and after two weeks as a primary surrogate marker of COX-2 inhibition. 
Urinary thromboxane metabolite, or TXM excretion, gastrointestinal tolerance, and ET-related symptoms were also investigated. According to the authors, at the start of the study, the majority of ET patients had evidence of incomplete platelet COX-1 inactivation based on thromboxane B2 measurements. After two weeks of either the BID or TID aspirin regimens, but not the once daily regimen, serum thromboxane B2 levels were reduced by 80 to 90% compared to their baseline levels. Urinary PGIM excretion, a measure of endothelial COX-2 activity, was similar across the treatment groups at the start of treatment and was not affected by either experimental regimen as compared to the respective baseline excretion rate. The three aspirin regimens were generally well-tolerated, although patients in the TID arm reported a higher abdominal discomfort score. In conclusion, the currently recommended aspirin regimen of 75 to 100 mg once daily for cardiovascular prophylaxis appears largely inadequate in reducing platelet activation in the vast majority of ET patients. The antiplatelet response to low-dose aspirin can be markedly improved by giving a second dose each day. A third dose did not yield evidence for any additional improvement. Now for a review of the report published in Blood, entitled SF3B1 Mutant Myelodysplastic Syndrome as a Distinct Disease Subtype, a proposal to the International Working Group for the Prognosis of Myelodysplastic Syndromes, by Luca Malcavati and Mario Cazzola from the University of Pavia, Italy, and numerous international colleagues who are part of the International Working Group for the Prognosis of Myelodysplastic Syndromes. According to the 2016 revision of the World Health Organization classification of myeloid neoplasms, myelodysplastic syndromes, or MDS, are a group of clonal disorders characterized by morphologic dysplasia in hematopoietic cells, ineffective hematopoiesis, and peripheral cytopenias. Despite a rapidly growing ability to identify mutated genes in these disorders, the only subtype of MDS that is currently defined by a genetic abnormality is the subset of isolated deletion of chromosome 5q. Other subgroups of MDS patients are currently categorized according to the number of cytopenias at presentation, the number of lineages manifesting dysplasia, the percentage of ring sideroblasts, and the percent of blasts in the bone marrow and the peripheral blood. However, this classification system is currently in evolution in that efforts to include genetic information are underway. Recent studies have successfully identified many recurrently mutated genes, which fit into several broad categories. These categories include genes involved in RNA splicing, DNA methylation, histone modification, transcription regulation, DNA repair, signal transduction, and the cohesin complex. Genes involved in regulating RNA splicing are of particular interest. Roughly half of MDS patients carry somatic mutations in spliceosome genes, with SF3B1 being the most commonly mutated. As reviewed by the authors, several lines of evidence support recognition of SF3B1 mutation as a disease-defining genetic lesion. Previous studies have suggested that SF3B1 mutations most often represent an initiating genetic lesion. Our major determinants of disease phenotype 
have an independent prognostic value on survival and risk of progression to acute myeloid leukemia, AML, and may predict response to specific therapeutic agents. In particular, several small clinical studies have suggested that the presence of an SF3B1 mutation defines a subgroup of MDS patients characterized by the presence of ring sideroblasts, ineffective erythropoiesis, and an indolent clinical course. To further validate the proposal that mutations in SF3B1 define a distinct subset of MDS patients, Malkavati et al. interrogated the dataset of the International Working Group for the Prognosis of MDS, which contains more than 3,400 patients with SF3B1 mutations. The authors found that patients with SF3B1 mutations had a highly homogeneous disease phenotype and distinctive demographic features. The disease phenotype was characterized by erythroid dysplasia with ring sideroblasts and ineffective erythropoiesis with minimal effects on granulocytopoiesis and megakaryocytopoiesis. Further, compared to non-SF3B1 mutated MDS, SF3B1 mutated MDS showed significantly lower hemoglobin values, higher neutrophil and platelet counts, and lower bone marrow blasts. Also, in contrast to other types of MDS, SF3B1 mutated patients have a higher incidence in females, with a ratio of approximately 1 to 1, male to female, and tend to be significantly older. Finally, SF3B1 mutation predicted for a favorable prognosis in multivariate analysis. Those cases that ultimately progress to AML usually acquire new mutations in high-risk AML genes, such as in RUNCS1. Taken together, this analysis confirms that SF3B1 mutation is the major determinant of disease phenotype, irrespective of current WHO classification criteria. Interestingly, about 20% of patients with ring sideroblasts lack SF3B1 mutations. These patients have more dysplasia and worse survival. Based on their analyses of these data, the authors propose that SF3B1 mutated MDS should be a distinct classification with the following diagnostic criteria. Cytopenia as defined by standard hematologic values. Somatic SF3B1 mutation. Morphologic dysplasia with or without ring sideroblasts. Bone marrow blasts less than 5%. Peripheral blood blasts less than 1%. And lack of monosomy 7 in version 3. Abnormalities of chromosome 3Q26. Complex karyotype with greater than or equal to 3 chromosomal abnormalities or co-occurring mutations in RUNX1 and or EZH2. In patients with clonal cytopenia of undetermined significance, SF3B1 mutation is almost always associated with subsequent development of overt MDS with ring sideroblasts. Finally, although more studies are needed, the presence of SF3B1 mutations may predict for a high rate of response to the TGF-beta inhibitor, lispatercept. Overall, and despite many open questions, the authors conclude that SF3B1 mutated MDS defines a distinct disease that should be recognized as such. For a list of additional authors as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening. 